broadcasting before and probably after the rapture. It's the Drew Marshall Show. Roll away your stone, I'll roll away mine. Together we can see what we will find. Don't leave me alone at this time. I love the, the way he plays that guitar. The the offbeat of his strumming is just yeah. Oh no, it's tremendously it's talented. It's like Johnny Cash had such a specific way of strumming, it really made music. Little Marcus Mumford there on the Drew Marshall Show. You are listening to the Drew Marshall Show. We're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca. We're live right here in Southern Ontario, covering uh, six million people. They tell us live in this area. A little station called Joy Twelve Fifty. Jefferson Bethke, by the way, let's just get him on the phone right yeah. now. we got to resolve this, right? Uh, Jefferson, everybody wants to know, is it Bethke or Betke? <laughs> yeah, the way I like to say it is it's Beth, like the girl's name, key, the same you put in the door. Thank so you. Really Thank you. Yep. I think we went through this last time. I'm so sorry. I'm just not the sharpest uh, person in radio. <laughs> so uh, Jefferson Bethke is a YouTube sensation and author of a new book here called It's Not What You Think, Why Christianity is About So Much More Than Going to Heaven When You Die. Welcome back to the Drew Marshall Show. How are you, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back. I think it's been almost two years or so, so it feels good. <laughs> yeah, you need two years to get over us. It's like a long shower, just scouring us off you. Um, you know you've made it when your forward is by Ann Voskamp, a good Canadian girl. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's up in your guys' neck of the woods. No, yeah, she's, I don't know about that. It's, that. The awkward part about that, though, is she's such a good writer that, you know, people read the forward and then just put down the book, you know. So, <laughs> Um, what has been happening to you? Tell us, just give us a synopsis of this journey, this ride you've been on, ever since your YouTube video uh, went uh, went crazy, ever since you got the YouTube virus. What what happened? Yeah, yeah. So since then, we've really just been able to kind of steward it and turn it into um, just doing it, doing what we love full time in that sense. So me and my wife both write, we have a podcast, we make YouTube videos, basically anything that has to do with kind of the internet or new technology we try to use. And uh yeah, it's pretty pretty simple and pretty low-key, but we, we love doing it and being able to use the tools that we have in 2015. So uh, if this viral video had not gone viral, uh, then you would be doing what right now? Uh, probably being a high school teacher. That was what my degree was going to be for. I just had to go get my certification. Um, and then, yeah, I just, it was probably, I'd probably be teaching high school social studies. Now, when you say special studies, is that like working with the sweat hogs? Oh, did you say social studies? Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, social studies, which is like, I don't know what they call in Canada, but in America, that basically just means like history and government and right. geography and, and philosophy. And right. Yeah. Okay, you're good. That's Tim, by the way, that other voice you heard. By the way, Tim, what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm a high school teacher who never made a YouTube video. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you got to get that going, man. Seriously. Why I hate religion but love Jesus is still, uh, what is it, 30 million views, something like that, almost? It is. I haven't checked in a while, but yeah, that last time I checked, it was right around there, which is crazy. Tell us that first that first ego moment, where you, you all of a sudden, you saw the, the numbers just cranking on that video, and you thought, oh, we've got a hit. Uh, how did that feel? Because yeah. like, I, I haven't, I've done yeah. nothing that's a hit. How does it feel? <laughs> yeah, I would almost say less ego moment, more terrifying. It was very... Um, the weird thing about, you know, I really like stepping back and kind of studying cultures and stuff, but the weird thing is that that many eyeballs outside of five years ago for the all of history before us, that many eyeballs were never basically able to be that concentrated on one person at one time. And so um, that was, it was just, it's kind of crushing to some degree, honestly. 
and I think we actually don't really wrestle with that enough. But um, but that's kind of what it felt like. It just felt crushing. Um, but it's cool to see stuff that's come from it. But that was the initial feeling for sure. Well, now you know how Justin Bieber feels. <laughs> oh, time times five bajillion. You know, it's like yeah, you really. People we elevate to that status that, that are living in that every moment. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Well, Jefferson Bethke is a millennial who gets why his generation is leaving religion behind. Christianity, he explains, is a bounced check for his generation. Explain that, man. Explain it. Yeah, that's the first actual line in my newest book, It's Not What You Think. So it's definitely a way to start off a book, right? But I would say um, what I really meant by that, and it's kind of the premise of the whole book, really, is that so many people my age, you know, 30 and under would be kind of considered a millennial, even though I don't really like that phrase. Um, anyone in my peers or my generation has really come to the place of feeling like the Christianity they were offered, it was kind of like a bounce check, meaning they went to go cash in when they needed it, when there was suffering, when there was hurt, when there was pain, when they needed true joy and true satisfaction, and it just didn't deliver. It, it, was, it was shallow and flimsy and just not full. And what I argue in the book is that that wasn't Christianity in the first place. I argue we've kind of done this hodgepodgey, postmodern, you know, industrial revolution, Western 21st century thing and just slapped a Jesus sticker on it. Um, and so I try to argue for the book, hey, when we really get back to the thing that Jesus put into play, the minute he stepped out of the grave, that actually is the thing that can change your life. Okay, I just want to jump backwards just for a second because I, I think people need to just understand a little bit more about you before we dive into this book here. The big thing you're known for is why I hate religion but love Jesus uh, YouTube video, which, you know, took off. And it was a spoken word thing. Um, so some people may not know that, but but then you got... You know, people people push back on you for for saying I hate religion. So let me just ask you: Do you still hate religion? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. I honestly haven't even thought about that for like three years. I think it's uh, yeah. I would just say pick up that book because that kind of you know I spend thirty pages. No, but this is the this is the setup for where we're going in this conversation with this new book because. You know, is it wrong to hate religion? Um, is there not a verse that Jesus said, you know, a good religion is the one that where you're taking care of orphans and widows and and uh, and kittens yeah, or something? Say, I would say it's really just semantics. It was me kind of using a communication device to kind of make people go, oh, I've never thought about it that way. But then once they hear me start talking after that, it's pretty clear that I love spiritual disciplines, I love Jesus, I love tradition, I love all those things, so it was really just pushing back against, I guess, I was using it more as like a synonym for kind of pharisaical, kind of legalistic right. type uh, behavior modification, which a lot of times in the Western world is what a lot of people think Christianity is. You know, when you ask people, what's Christianity, or why, why did you say no to Jesus, a lot of times their answer is like, because they had to do stuff, or because they were tired and burnt out from trying to keep up a moral code stuff of that nature. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of, I guess, what I, what I say. Okay. The reason, yeah, the reason I brought that up is because, you know, you are, you are speaking to your generation, uh, being part of your generation, and you're using their code in order to infiltrate their code. So you are, you are saying, you, you know, you're, you're the big thing you got, got known for, done got known for is I hate religion, but, but, uh, you know, love Jesus. And there's the whole, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. But you're, you're actually saying, you're actually saying that your generation, that they're just wimping out in using that kind of phraseology. Am I getting that right? Uh, I mean, I think it just depends. It's hard for me to blanket statement like my peers, but I would say this, which is an interesting kind of study on the thing that went viral 
is I wrote that as a poem for my non-Christian 1,500-student liberal arts college in Portland, which is a very different world than Nashville, Tennessee, or Alabama, right? And so it kind of is a study on how much the Internet kind of flattens theology and kind of flattens cultural context. Yeah. In Portland, when you say religion, that's a dirty swear word, basically, right? Like, that's just what it is. But when you say that in Texas, that's a great word. And so I think that's something that we have to wrestle with, too, is the Internet's kind of flattening cultural context when we have to really understand, hey, where's that coming from? What was it for? And then can I learn something when I'm outside of the context of that? Okay, so with this new book, It's Not What You Think, Why Christianity is About So Much More Than Going to Heaven When You Die, give me an example of the type of, the exact type of person you were writing that for. Let's say his name is uh, Ralph. What, what, is Ralph's, what is Ralph's problem? And who names their kid Ralph anymore? So it's a safe name. Yeah, exactly. I haven't heard that name in ages. I really, we have a baby on the, we have a baby boy on the way, and I think I'm going to put that on the list for my wife. <laughs> yeah, good luck with but, that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I would say, um, so yeah, so if, it, if I'm talking to Ralph, I would say Ralph is definitely, a, the book is definitely to a person who is um, kind of that, that sense of that first line again, like just burnt out on, um, uh, maybe I said no to Jesus, has said no to Christianity, and not even someone my age, I've got, I've got an email already from 50 or 60 year olds saying this, um, who again, it's just, they've said no or they've walked away, not realizing that what they said no to wasn't the real thing in the first place. Um, kind of it was like a fake, parody, puppeted version of Christianity. And so the whole book is actually me trying to go back to the first century and saying, hey, when you put on first century glasses and you understand what it meant to be a Jewish rabbi, you know, under Roman rule and all these different con- contextual things, then the faith just explodes. The example I give in the book is like The Giver, right, where The Giver, the whole premise of the book in the movie is that everything's black and white, um, but that's because they're taking these injections, but the world is actually in color, and I kind of argue that with the Scripture. We kind of have we're so numb and inundated with our 21st century black and white glasses. The Christianity isn't exciting, but if you kind of take that off, um, take those glasses off, you start to see it's vibrant, it's beautiful, and it really kind of gives the depth that we're all looking for. Okay, again, folks, you need to know what's happening here. We're on the phone with Jefferson Bethke. He's uh, just come out with his new book, It's Not What You Think, Why Christianity is About So Much More Than Going to Heaven When You Die. When I first heard the subtitle, I thought, oh, Okay, so we're back into moral stuff, you know. The, the reason you buy into Jesus is not just so you get to heaven. Because I remember hearing preachers say that when I was your age, and that was a long, stinking time ago. <laughs> and they would they would say, look, it's not just about go, you know going to heaven. You need to buy into Jesus because he'll help you stop sinning, basically, was the gist of their of their messages. Um, but I, that doesn't go over well uh, with your with you kids these days, eh, Jefferson, with you kids? It's... It's not That's right. I'm waiting for my dentures with, to fall out with here. With his squad? <laughs> yeah, with your squad. Um, well, you know, like it's right. don't dude, don't try to tell me to stop stop doing stuff I want to do. Uh, is that what this Jesus is all about? Cuz now you're saying it's not about heaven. But I also yeah. Jefferson, I think you're also saying, well, it's not necessarily about whether you're moral or not. Then what the heck is it about, man? Yeah, yeah. So I'd say two things to that. One, one thing I mentioned in the book is the thing we need to realize is that Jesus gets a bad rap because he asks everything of us, right? Like Jesus says, you know, leave everything, give up everything, give a, give, just basically give me full surrender. And we kind of say, ah, that's, he's asking too much of me. You know, I don't want to say yes to that. But what I usually say to my friends is like, he, like everything asks that of you, right? Like sex asks for everything of you. Alcohol asks for everything of you. The, the idol of power asks for everything of you. This isn't unique in that he asks for everything. He is unique, though, in that he gives up everything first. 
all the other false idols, false gods, whatever you want to call them, they kind of put a spike collar on you and just drag you around life as a slave. When Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to go first, I'm going to sacrifice everything for you, and then rather than forcing you, I'm going to woo you when you see what I've truly done for you. That's radically different than everything else out there. And so first of all, I just always say that, like, don't think that Jesus is unique and that actually asking you of your life. Everything asks for your life. You just don't realize it. And then two, the premise really of what I'm saying there is, when you go back to Jesus and his world, you know, he said things like, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And the way Matthew writes that gospel is as if that's a summary of his entire ministry. It's not like he said that one time in one town. Jesus, Matthew says he went around all the towns saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, if we rewrote that in like a Western 21st century Bible, that would say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is really, really, really far away. If you raise your hand, you can go there when you die. That's our Bible, right? That's polar opposite to what Jesus said. And so it's really, instead of about us getting out of this place, it's actually about, this narrative of Scripture is about God descending down into this place and us bringing our life and our, under His reign and His rule, and that has way different impl- implications with how we live now, because that means this life matters, and that's really what the book's about. Um, are you in Hawaii right now? We are. We are. I am, yes. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no way, man. Dude, how's the how's the podcast going? You and you and your woman do a podcast. True story. We do, we do. Yeah, we love it. It's uh, it's uh, you know, download. That's the cool part about technology is you can see where it's like you know, downloaded all over the world, and we absolutely love it. It's uh, we do it right in our kitchen table, and then it goes out on the internet, and it's, it's fun. And uh, Aslan is thriving. Oh yeah, he's he's thriving out here in Narnia. That's that's for sure. He's eating too much Turkish delights these days, but uh, he's doing good. Turkish delights? Yeah, you feed your, what that, is that? That's that's what the White Witch tempted. Um, oh, that's what's right. his name with? Yeah. 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 Apparently, apparently, you haven't read the book. But <laughs> he saw the movie. He he went to the bathroom during that part. Stop it. Turkish delight. And actually, there actually is a candy company that capitalized on that, and there actually is a real candy. But yeah, it's like the temptation candy that she gives to try to seduce yeah. people. Um, the one thing I, I mean, there's so many chapters in your book that intrigue me, but the one that intrigues me the most is the one that talks about embracing your scars. Brokenness is yeah. not what you think. And, and you write about this on your, on your website as well. So can you pull that apart for us? Cause I want to know what's different about the way you think Jesus wants us to handle hurts or wounds versus the way Oprah yeah. wants us to handle hurts and wounds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, it, it's cool. I mean, the book's been out for, I think, a month or two now, so it's cool getting feedback. I'd probably say most people would say that's the chapter that has resonated most with them so far. Right. And what I'm really trying to do with that chapter is say that, yeah, like, in our world, we spend so much time keeping up this mask, keeping up... We're, we're basically on this treadmill of life, just running, 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 but the terrible thing about treadmills is they go nowhere. That's why I hate them, right? Like, you're running just to stay in place. And so many times we do that with our, our wounds, the hard parts in our life, the shame and the guilt. We spend all this time trying to cover it up just to kind of stay neutral. And what I say is when you really start following Jesus, he actually gives you permission to then celebrate those places in your life because you found healing. And so I talk about the difference between a wound and a scar, right? Like a wound is places in our life where if people touch them, they're really sensitive. We might break friendships over them. They... Uh, you know, we cover them up, they, they can get infected, and they actually do if we cover them up because they haven't found healing. And so I just ask, what are those places in people's lives spiritually? What places, you know, are sensitive? What places do they hurt when people get close to them? Or when you hear a word, you, you, you cringe because that's what you think of. Um, what is that? And then I say, you know, Jesus, even himself, through the death and resurrection, had his wounds become scars, and then he's that great healer that can make our wounds into scars. And the cool part about scars is they're just 
way different than wounds, right? Like you don't hide a scar, you don't cover it up, it doesn't hurt anymore, and usually it tells a story. I don't know if that's just a guy thing, but a lot of us love talking about our scars, right? (laughs) And so I just say that's really what it means to tell people about Jesus. When you've come to Him, when you've found that healing, then your wounds become scars, and then you go out to other people and you point to your scars and say, look what Jesus did, you can have that too. And it actually becomes, again, a celebrating, because you're celebrating not the scar, you're celebrating the healing that you found that the scar is a picture of. Uh, Jefferson Bethke, he's on the phone, he is a YouTube sensation, that's got to get boring, uh, author of It's Not What You Think, Why Christianity is About So Much More Than Going to Heaven When You Die. His website is Jeff Bethke. Uh, Beth is in the song that Kiss sang, and Key, as in DeGarmo and Key, without the Y. <laughs> Do you even know who DeGarmo and Key is, Jefferson Bethke? I don't think I... I don't think I know who anyone you just said is, but it sounded awesome. You, know, you know who Kiss is, the band Kiss? I don't. Are those the people with the crazy faces? Yes! <laughs> How old are you, yeah. man? Holy heart attack. 26. I mean, I could I could probably not. I couldn't name a song by them for sure, but I definitely just know the one guy who sticks his tongue out. Yeah, I want to rock and roll all night. I want to let our listeners, listen, I want to let our listeners know uh, that we're giving away a copy of today's HarperCollins book by Jeff Bethke. By the way, uh, do you go, but does anyone call you Jeff? Is that allowed? Oh, yeah, totally. I'd probably say it's 50-50, so it doesn't, yeah, I don't, I don't hear any different on either of them. Okay. We're giving away a copy of uh, today's HarperCollins book on our uh, Drew Marshall Show Facebook page in partnership with Facebooks.ca. So go to the Drew Marshall Show Facebook page to find out how you could win today's book by uh, Jay Bethke. Um, yo, Jay, yo, Jay, check this out. Um, what we want is, uh, want you to drop a little something-something on us. So, Tim, can you hit it? We want a little little something here. Let's see if this is going here. Can we hear it? All right, little something-something. Jefferson Bethke, spoken word. What's he going to drop? Let's see. He wasn't ready for this. He might just choke. Here we go. Freestyle. No, I'm, I, I, I don't have anything. <laughs> it's a bad... I... I don't memorize my poems. You don't? You're forcing my hand. No, you're forcing my hand right there. Okay, I'll do something. Let me make it about me. Let me help Jefferson out. You ready? Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Dinner. You ate it. It is none left. It was salty with butter, and it was death. You proceeded to eat it, because you was in the mood. But Holmes, you did not read it was a can of dog food. You be Ellen. Woo! 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 Really, Tim? It's dog food. Dang, you sound like a cross-dressing dog. Hey, That's yeah. what you sound like. Sorry, I'll go more great day. Woof. <laughs> Woof. That was, that, was, that was powerful. You need to get a mixtape going. Yeah. All I do is teeth stuff from Run DMC. That's that's really it. That's it. Um, <laughs> all right, so you're you're 26. Do you ever get heat for people going, dude, what do you know, man? You're 26. Like, how do you know? You know, you, th- you haven't lived enough life to be Mr. Spiritual Guru author, dude. Anyone ever push back on that? Totally. Yeah. So I, I totally embrace it. I totally agree with it. I'm just doing what I can at this age. And if you read the intro to my book, I actually talk about that. I basically say, hey, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. This is just what I know. This is coming from also a lot of different sources. And that's why, for me, like all my books get sent to a gamut of people who are way smarter than me, way farther along than me for that exact reason. So, so yeah, that happens. And I just embrace it and say, amen, I'm with you. Well, we appreciate it, dude. Uh, thank you for joining us again on our show. You got a pulse. Uh, you know, I do get a little leery when when you young kids, when young punks come on the show and they and they sound so 
so I don't know. They just sound. There's some that I know smart. sound a little. No, not smart. Dogmatic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I know a guy. Hold on. Yeah. My, turn turn the mics off. I want to tell Tim right. your name. Uh, right? Uh, yeah. And he's a young guy who's a senior pastor at a church in the area, and I just think he's an arrogant punk. And that's judgmental, <laughs> but I'll own that. I have the spiritual gift of judgmentalism. Trust me. Well, I appreciate that, though. That, that means a lot. And it's, uh, like I said, I, I, yeah, I think I just realized so much that, like, you know, well, I heard, I heard a quote a long time ago where someone basically says, you know, ask someone to get up and say, you know, quote Psalm 23, and a little, you know, a 20-year-old got up and quoted it and thought he nailed it and thought it was amazing, and the pastor said, oh, you know Psalm 23, and he says, can anyone else do it? And a 90-year-old gets up and quotes Psalm 23, and he says, you don't know Psalm 23, you know the shepherd. And that's really the difference, I think, is that when you actually live, Snap. you can know all the passages, yeah, you can know all the scripture, but I want to be the guy that's 90 that knows the shepherd, and so I'm just trying to set myself up that, that way. Dude, that was bad. No, that was it? Yeah, that no, was horrible. No, what a sorry. horrible way to no. end that interview. Oh, man. That was, that was amazing, actually, I think. Okay, thank you. Hey, let me tell you a joke. Okay, you ready, Jefferson? Ready? Here's my. I'm telling everyone yeah. three jokes. I'm going to do this just with you because you're fun. You ready? <clears throat> yeah. Three jokes. What do you have playing in the background? I saw three ships because he's in what? Hawaii, right? So... So you thought I saw ships. three ships was going to yeah, be the outro like, for this interview? Because there's like boats oh required goodness. to get to Hawaii. Jefferson, will you will you come and help me run my show, please? <laughs> yeah. Okay, three jokes. Hey, I saw a cat the other day. It didn't have a tail, so I took it to Walmart because they're the largest retailer. <laughs> no, <laughs> nothing. Yeah, that's okay. a mercy laugh. Here's joke number two. What do you call it when Batman stops going to church? Christian Bale. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to use that one. Okay. All right. Here's the last one. What do you call it when a chameleon can't change color? What? A reptile dysfunction. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. Uh, All right. Jefferson, Merry Christmas, dude. Uh, You know, I hope all that struggling you do for the Lord in Hawaii just pays off someday. Hey, I really appreciate it. I need your prayers. I'm so thankful. (laughs) All right. Take care. Merry Christmas. Jefferson Becky on the Drew Marshall Show. Two decades ago, Not Without My Daughter told of a daring escape by an American mother and her six-year-old child from an abusive and fanatical Iranian husband and father. Now that daughter finishes the story that captivated the world in My Name is Matab. Follow Matab as she survives her imprisonment and escape and her life after fleeing Iran, living in fear of re-abduction, battling recurring nightmares and panic attacks, and surviving life-threatening illness, all under the menacing shadow of her father. My Name is Matab is the story of an extraordinary young woman's triumph over crushing trauma to build a life of peace and forgiveness.